Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Well, in our defense, I think that's the natural place where any Lara Croft discussion goes. It's it's so true. You know, uh, the... I think part of the reason why the both the Tomb Raider series and Lara Croft as a character are so recognizable is purely her marketing. Well, it's a it's a classic case of marketing really paying off, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's that old story, isn't there, that the boob size was actually unintentional, that he entered the wrong number into the remodeling software or something. Complete bollocks, obviously. I mean, they could... Oh. Hi, Cookie, how you doing? <laughs> well, luckily she didn't bark during the show. This is just the podcast. Little dog Oh, sure. Yeah, it's not like the podcast matters. <laughs> <laughs> this is a little more freeform, baby. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, if it was a mistake, it could fairly easily have been reversed. Well, the the apparently the story goes the uh, the creator of Lara Croft, the original lead designer um, of the first Tomb Raider game, actually left the company over the marketing of Lara. He didn't come back until Tomb Raider uh, Legend. Well, what kind of weirdo doesn't like success? That's what I want to know. <laughs> He, you know, because they were just they were just going to make uh, the story goes uh, for original Tomb Raider that they were just trying to make like an Indiana Jones type game. But their the original character design actually looked a little too much like Indiana Jones and they didn't want to get sued. And so they said, ah, fuck it. Make her a woman. Why not? Uh, Jill in the jungle. Boom. Uh, fine tradition. Boom, boom. But then as the marketers got a hold of Lara apparently uh, it it made the original designer upset because you know he was of course making a strong powerful attractive woman but it wasn't just about the TNA for him well let's face it it was going to be an attractive woman because all protagonists of video games have to be conventionally attractive unless you're Mario they have to be so they have to be and we're we're seeing the we're seeing what happens if your uh, female protagonist is not conventionally attractive right now (laughs) well let's not make things too reductive no 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 um yes okay so the sexualization of lara croft go um okay (laughs) Uh, i'll just go and sexualize lara croft over there now i'll have a lot of fun all right thanks (laughs) No, you know, I was uh, I was doing a little research, kind of reminding me of the older Tomb Raiders, which I, I haven't played in forever. They and haven't aged well. <laughs> Didn't play terribly well, the old Tomb Raider engine. I mean, it was the fact that core design uh, remained stubbornly stuck to the original engine and how mm-hmm. it worked for so long was part of the reason why their publisher took the franchise away from them and gave it to Crystal Dynamics. <laughs> yes. Because they made Tomb Raider 1, Tomb Raider 2, Tomb Raider 3, Tomb Raider 4, Tomb Raider Chronicles, Tomb Raider... Tomb Raider, uh, Tomb Raider The Last Revelation. Tomb Raider The Last Revelation, and I think there was one more after that, Angel of Darkness. And then Curse of the Sword, The Prophecy, and Angel of... Oh, no, sorry, yeah, you're, I'm, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at all the titles. Those are the Game Boy titles. Oh, yeah, they don't count. The, those don't count, yes. Their last one was Angel of Darkness, and then they got... It was basically very little had changed along the way. 
Yes. Uh, Lara Croft had longer hair and more rounded boobies, and that was about it. Yeah, yeah. the the world looks slightly nicer, um, and as the series went on, they they got rid of a lot of the puzzles and made it more of an action-y game. Yeah, after Crystal Dynamics took over and they made Tomb Raider Legend and uh, Tomb Raider... They did a remake of the first one, which was Tomb Which is Tomb Raider Anniversary. Tomb Raider Anniversary, just to add insult to injury. <laughs> and then there is the uh, Guardian of Light, which is the top, like the isometric twin stick shooter. Yes, and there was uh, Tomb Raider Underworld. And I think that was the last one in that continuity before the prequels. Mm-hmm. Yes, Tomb Raider Underworld. You are correct. And going going back, like looking at this, I know the the core design team uh, did attempt to kill Lara Croft off because they were sick of making Lara Croft games. Ah, uh, Sherlock Holmes syndrome. Because yeah. <laughs> famously, Arthur Conan Doyle wrote Sherlock Holmes' death because he was sick of writing Sherlock Holmes. And then the fanboys of the era made him bring it back. Absolutely. And so Tomb Raider 4, Tomb Raider The Last Revelation, features Lara's death. L- Lara died. Implied death. They were a little <laughs> bit uh, wishy-washy about it. Well, it, what, there was death. There, Lara got trapped in a, in a, in a tomb to be, to be dead. Yeah. Fittingly. Fittingly. But then, and then uh, Chronicles was actually just like people telling stories of Lara, uh, like like her friends at her funeral. Like, yes. oh yeah, rem- remember the time Lara was in a Metal Gear Solid game? Yeah, it was an anthology game. And <laughs> right. she was just alive again because that she was the meal ticket. Yeah. When you think about it, Lara Croft was like the major British import at the time. There was a tying of Lara Croft to the British national identity for a while. Was there? Kinda. She was like something that the country could be proud of again after like the Thatcher era. <laughs> Is this a true thing? <laughs> well, I do remember there was a certain amount of pride with uh, Lara Croft being such a famous international sex symbol. Sure. Developed by this bunch of nerdy dudes from Bristol or wherever they were based. <laughs> Sure, and so like not only was it a was she a, a British protagonist, but also developed by a British team. Yeah, she was a cultural ambassador, a cultural icon. Oh, okay. Well, then there you go. I guess. And then the Americans started developing her and turned her into a whiny, whiny teenager, um, whining because her severe injuries hurt. Yes. Which gets us to the topic of the debate, really, which is mm-hmm. which was uh, old Lara versus new Lara. We did it in a slightly sophomoric way, but... <laughs> uh, so, okay. I'm going to throw out what I've said before, that old Lara Croft was certainly much more lacking in personality and depth, but was a generally much more enjoyable character to play as. 100%. You know, I, I, would much rather, I would much rather have my avatar be someone who is confident in their own abilities. Yes. Uh, I, I, the, the, well, and... I don't know what it is about the the new Tomb Raider, about the year that it came out, uh, about the men specifically who were in charge of that game and why they felt the need to punish their woman so much. Well, we know why, because um, I think one of the developers was quoted as saying they wanted to make a game where you felt motivated to protect poor tiny Lara Croft, <laughs> which is probably the wrong attitude to take when you're making yes. a strong feminist game. 
I mean, Samus Aran never needed no man to protect her, except in that last <laughs> game, which we don't talk about. We don't, we don't, we, that one doesn't count. That's not a Metroid game. We pretend that one doesn't exist. Women certainly aren't fragile little things need to be protected by men and are constantly obsessed with babies. <laughs> except in that one game. <laughs> the, the amount of torture porn in the new tomb raider is is staggering I, I was like flipping through you know that youtube does the compilations of all the cutscenes, just to kind of remind me of the story it's been forever since i've played it and the amount of torture that new lara goes through is unjustifiable i mm. think you need to like have a private investigator look into the men who were writing that story and check on their spouses and this is the the, the classic issue that i brought up in my last of us two review that a character suffering does not make that character interesting or deep or compelling. Right. That seems to have been the attitude because there's no there's no incentive to the suffering. There's no meaning behind it. Half the time she suffers because the ground just randomly collapses under her big fat ass. <laughs> right, but suffering is shorthand for vulnerability. And so instead of a fully fleshed out character, they just slapped a bunch of shorthand on her. And yeah, look at how hurt she is. Aren't, don't you feel sorry for her? I suppose one could accuse the original games of uh, not treating the dangerous situations Lara was in with the necessary uh, seriousness. In that, if you're stuck in a cave with a tiger, you will probably get horribly mauled, not gaily somersault around the room shooting it with two guns. Well, it speaks to it speaks to the point of the debate, which is the tone of both of the games. The tone of the original Tomb Raider is a light-hearted action game. You're solving puzzles, you're running around in tombs, you're fighting tigers and bears and horrible legless monstrosities. Yep, and every now and again you're back up against a wall and turn the camera around so you can get a really close-up view of her boobies. Well, you did when I was 15. <laughs> Exactly. Well, it, it was a fun game. They were making yeah. a game so the players had fun jumping around as Laura, Lara, and the new game, they don't want you to have fun. They want you to suffer. They want yeah. to torture you. And because it's fun and frivolous and therefore not empowering ladies or something. But I've always felt that uh, if we're talking about female empowerment, original mm. Lara Croft is the empowered one because new Lara Croft doesn't actually have much in the way of agency correct new lara croft i mean as i said in the video this is the drinking game i mentioned in my zp review of one of the new tomb raiders you drink every time she expresses the fact that she has to do something like she doesn't feel like she has a choice in doing something right either either she's trying to protect her own life or she's doing something for her father or mother in the second one i think yeah so the point being that i think a compelling character Mm -hmm. What happens to them is the result of their decisions. Agreed. The changes they undergo is the result of the decisions they make. Like, the, the, this is the, the classic kind of act structure is when, when a character makes a decision that, that changes how they feel or the direction of the story. The classic Luke Skywalker makes the decision to leave his planet and go out into space. Zaboom. That's his choice. Right. Yeah. It's the call to adventure. Ooh. In the first prequel Tomb Raider, well, I guess she makes the choice to go on a... Uh, adventure to look for her. what's what's she looking for in the first game i've forgotten it's like a it's her 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 father's uh diary scribbles of a lost japanese 
uh, queen thing. Right. 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 She's going after it because her it was her dad's legacy, and she feels she has to uh, big up his legacy or whatever it was. Exactly. And remember, none of that really matters because before they get to the island, their boat is crashed and she's like knocked out by the natives. And so, you know, nothing. She makes no decision that's not like self-preservation or motivated by her father. Yeah, it's just like a little Heath Robinson machine. What's the American version? Heath Robinson's machine? Yeah, I've forgotten it. You know, um, a machine that's like made of of lots of little bits where one thing leads on to the next thing rube goldberg thank you it's the rube goldberg machine you're just going (laughs) from one trigger to the next yes and and you're 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 literally falling into the next area stumbling to the next thing you're supposed to discover so og original gangsta lara chooses to go to these tombs sure she chooses to go in there to get rich and you know make herself famous but it's her decision yeah that still (laughs) tells you something about her character absolutely i mean she wants to be rich and famous who doesn't we can all sympathize (laughs) with that You know, sure, that's that's the thing. And again, it was more lighthearted. Sure, it wasn't taking itself seriously, but yeah. that was kind of the point of the game. Yes, and the other argument, of course, is the Uncharted argument that Lara Croft, OG Lara Croft is basically an unfeeling psychopath who spends all her time uh, killing endangered animals and occasionally human beings so she can steal treasure and take it back to her house and just bask in the glory of having nicked it. But old Lara is significantly less of a psychopath than new Lara. Old Lara, uh, like if you look back at the original games, like Lara in the first Tomb Raider fights like three humans. Everything Mm. else is either an animal or like an Atlantean monstrosity. Mm. New Lara Croft kills hundreds of people. Well, yes. I mean, nothing can quite... You can't really do cover-based shooting against anything but people, can you? Right. (laughs) Right. You can't have velociraptors ducking behind boxes. (laughs) I mean, I guess you could, but that would take a little bit of the realism out of it. I guess guess you could, and then you could call it Dead Space. (laughs) Do you ever play the the remake of the first Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider Anniversary? I have not. It's funny, because they're sort of starting to move towards that area of turning Lara Croft into a more realistic character. So it's Mm. the same plot, and you fight the same things, and again, it's the same thing where you shoot basically three human beings in boss fights. Mm-hmm. But every time you do one, there's always this sequence where they have Lara Croft just sort of look at her trembling hands in horror at what she has become. And no. then she just goes, well, can't be helped, and moves on to the next thing. <laughs> Anywho's, where's that treasure at? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess you could see they, they felt like they needed to move with the times. Is, is this an indictment of the times, perhaps? That it says something about the times we live in, that the insistence on having some perception of uh, grimness or gritty realism in games is seen as something that needs to be had now? It's it's an, not an indictment on the times, it's an indictment on lack of creativity. I suppose. A lot of this, uh, a lot of new Lara boils down to that accursed, you know, Christopher Nolan effect where, you know, he tried to make a more realistic Batman and literally everyone followed suit and no one is having fun now. No one is allowed to have fun anymore. Yeah, I think that's taking the wrong message from the Christopher Nolan Batman films. Yes, and so the indictment of our time is a whole bunch of people took the wrong message. (laughs) I guess that's what always happens, isn't it? 
Yeah, something does well and everyone takes the wrong message. Well, isn't and I think that's the same thing that happened in the Tomb Raider series as soon as Uncharted started to become popular. Yeah, that was still trying to be uh, lighthearted though. Oh, I'm trying sure, to think what like the, the game that kicks off games having to be gritty and realistic and people really, really suffering. <laughs> I want to say Call of Duty Modern Warfare 1. Ooh. Was that the one where you had to shoot the people in the airport? No, that was Modern Warfare 2. But Modern Warfare 1 was like, set the ball rolling on all that kind of thing. Where they had a very gritty and realistic depiction of someone getting caught in a nuclear blast and dying slowly and hideously in the ruins. Oh, okay, okay. And then that led to them wanting to have a similar uh, iconic moment in the second one where you can mow down the innocents. And I want to say that could be patient zero for video games suddenly being gritty, serious, and about characters suffering. Let me just check some years for a second. I, I'm looking it up. Modern Warfare 1 was a video game that came out... 2007. 2007, okay. And to go to go off of my current theory, Batman Begins... Came out in 2005, my friend. It all goes back to the Nolanization. Bloody Nolan. It's Nolan's fault that bastard takes the fun out of everything. But it was never about taking the fun out of things. (laughs) It was adding a sort of... Well, it was adding a realistic take, but Christopher Nolan also had a sort of very poetic style to his work. Correct. All his characters sort of represent themes rather rather than our complex individuals. Oh yeah, no, and I don't mean to—I don't mean to be mean to Nolan. As I, I, I enjoy him generally as a filmmaker. I—it's I, one of those things where I retroactively dislike a lot of his work only because of his fan base. But, but no, I think he's a very talented filmmaker, and he does a very good job of of theming everything. But that was something that was very important to him for Batman Begins. Is like, oh, how does Batman fit stuff in his tool belt? Let's have a whole sequence dedicated to you know the the realism of this scene. And yeah. then we get we get people who like say, "Oh, look how dark and gritty that is." Let's do that in our Tomb Raider. I'm just looking up 2007 Ugh. in video gaming. Okay. See if anything came before Modern Warfare that might indicate I think the popularity of grittiness. It, it wouldn't. You wouldn't want to look at 2007. You'd want to look at like 2009 because that's when games would be trying to catch up with with modern warfare, right? Yeah, I was just looking at when The Last of Us came out, but that was 2013. So uh... mm. that's that's when they 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 took uh, harsh and gritty to 11. But like, if you look at 2009, we get uh, Arkham Asylum. We get Modern Warfare 2. Yeah, Modern Warfare 2 with the no Russian scene. That was the one where mm-hmm. it began. Oh, Grand Theft, Grand Theft Auto 4. There's a thought. Grand Theft Auto 4 came around about that time. Okay. That was a very gritty game. Could have sort of unnecessarily for a Grand Theft Auto game. <laughs> and that, oh, that was 2008. Oh, Modern Warfare still winning. Yeah. <laughs> but that certainly would have been part of the pattern, Grand mm-hmm. Theft Auto 4. That was a very gritty and realistic trying to be game. Mm. What else we got in 2009? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking. Oh, Bionic Commando. Of Bionic course. Commando from 2009, that was a classic 
unnecessarily gritty reboot or something. <laughs> that was a real poster boy for unnecessary grittification. But I think that would oh. be that's well into the grittification phase. <laughs> the grittification. Did you play that Bionic Commando remake? Oh God, no! I know it looked horrible. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> They're trying to make this the main character of the original Bionic Commandos, who was whose name was Radical Spencer, yeah. and whose gimmick was that he had a grappling hook on his arm and he fought Nazis with it, mm-hmm. and he wore sunglasses. And then in the remake, suddenly he's this gritty and haunted war hero who's tortured <laughs> by his bionic arm and is tortured uh... by the death of his wife. And I'm going to I'm going to spoil the plot of that game now because Please. it's too funny to not spoil. But it turns out the ending twist is that his wife. Uh, instead of dying, her brain was put into his bionic arm. Fucking what? In order to make his bionic arm work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh huh. It would have made sense if, like, the bionic arm had like an AI voice or something, had some kind of character to it. But no, it's just they said, "Oh, we needed to take the wife. You need to take the brain of someone close to you what? to get your bionic arm to uh, interface with your own body." Oh God! That was how they made it work, and he thought he thought his wife had run out on him or something, or died or something, and he discovered her, his wife had been in his arm the whole time. That was the gritty twist. <laughs> Fucking hilarious! Uh, but uh, this uh, this is uh, a slight aside I would like to make here, but I am uh, scrolling through uh, the first uh, Modern Warfare's Wikipedia page uh, to try to find uh, if if it has any like ripple effects listed in its Wikipedia page. And I go down to Critical Response. Uh, the game story received a considerable amount of acclaim for reviews. Certainly did. In contrast, this is on the official Wikipedia, in contrast to later entries in the Call of Duty franchise, Ben Yahtzee Croshaw of Zero Punctuation gave the game a positive review. Oh yes, I found it now. Yes, there's a few game pages that quote me on Wikipedia. I just thought, that what a what a strange turn of events that we're talking about it right now and it's talking about you. Life is a circle, my friend. <laughs> Apparently I said it featured less of the smarmy black and white my country tis of the jingoism that turns me off most war games. Well, it certainly did. But uh-huh. it all came straight back in the subsequent popularity of contemporary war shooters, didn't it, games industry? <laughs> oh, came back with a fervor. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna say in video games at least, Modern Warfare One kicked off the gritty phase that the reboot Tomb Raiders was a symptom of. Yeah, no, and and a a thing that has been now like kicking around in video games until only recently have we kind of rediscovered that, you know, big AAA titles can be fun again. Well, actually, I'm looking up the 2007 releases and there's a couple of titles that stand out that came slightly before Modern Warfare. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, where was it? Hellgate London. That was pretty gritty. But it, it's not, it can't only just be gritty. It has to be gritty and commercially successful. Right. Those are uh, the two key points because once something is commercially successful, then people start trying to break down the components to monetize them easily without any creative vision. Well, there was Manhunt 2 that year. Ooh, Manhunt. The Manhunt series is, is, uh, is very notable for its controversial grittiness. It is gritty. I wouldn't say it's trying to be fully serious, though. I mean, this is a mm-hmm. game where you get chased around by a big man with a pig on his head and a chainsaw. 
No, I'm go- I'm going I'm going with your first instinct here. I think that's usually the right call. Modern warfare having like, you know, one just the the war setting, the grittiness and of course the one big scene, the big morally questionable scene, right? Ooh, yeah. baby. Yep. And of course, it was uh the whole contemporary war thing was much more relevant in the age of the post 9-11 wars in the Middle mm. East. So like all things Absolutely. in modern society, I'm going to blame the 9-11 attacks. Mm. So many things come after. It just made everyone really depressed, and they still are. It's, we've, we've, some of us still haven't gotten over it. I hope you're happy, Bin Laden. <laughs> 20 years and everyone's still depressed. <laughs> 20 years and we still have the Patriot Act. Damn it. Things were going so well up until then. (laughs) Northern Irish reconciliation. Uh, The Millennium bug didn't turn out as bad as we thought. You know, nothing but but blue skies. That's uh, (laughs) nothing but blue skies and promises right up until 9-11. I think it was the combination of 9-11 and George W. Bush in the White House. That was the problem. Mm-hmm. That was where it all started going wrong. Yes, yes. After uh, after a very contentious uh, victory, you know, one of the one of the very few. Not to get too far off topic, because of course this is supposed to be about Lara Croft. But and actually, I was. I was about to get more off topic. So back, boom, boom, pulling it back. Oh shit! <laughs> we've been talking about modern warfare more than we've been talking about Tomb Raider because you know what? There's not a lot to the game. There's just not a lot to any of the games. No, but uh, there's nothing wrong with that. No. And there's nothing wrong with a female character being attractive. There's nothing wrong with a female character looking however the designers want her to look. There's nothing wrong with a strong, confident woman. Uh, I, I know I, something I've pointed to before is the Bayonetta series. I think Bayonetta as a character is wonderful. Um, another example of a strong, attractive, female-fronted series. Have I ever told you about my theory for the difference between sexual and sexualized? Ooh, go for it. A sexual character is one one could seriously imagine deigning to have sex with something, whereas a sexualized character just has their sexual characteristics emphasized. And yet more often than not in such cases, they often seem very unsexual, like they mm. have no patience for the thought at all. Okay, how do you have any examples off the top of your head of both? Well, I would argue that, let's say, Red Sonia would be oh, an example okay. of a sexualized character. Sure. Because she runs around in the classic chainmail bikini look of high fantasy. <laughs> but I wouldn't say she's very yes. sexual. Okay. I mean, famously, like her big part of her story is that she only goes to bed with someone who can beat her in combat. Right. She's part of that whole, no man can have this classic barbarian fodder uh maybe he's yeah. falling in this uh in this category is uh quiet from metal gear solid 5 yes there's a lot of female char- token female characters in video games who they dress up mm-hmm. in like skimpy gear usually belly shirts weirdly that's weirdly common and yet uh come across like saying i will crush anything that tries to look at me funny in that sexual way hold on it's getting hot in here i need to unbutton a few more of these buttons <laughs> Which feels like mixed messages to me. Absolutely. Those I would classify as sexualized. All right. Whereas a sexual character is someone you could imagine actually having sex. I would say Farah from Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, is a sensual character. 
And you have some implied sex with her in that game, but as part of what, in my mind, is one of the few actually good romances in video games. <laughs> right. Sure. Okay, I'm I'm with you here. And and so like really it's it's like is does the character earn their sexuality? Do the writers give enough of a damn about the character to, you know, give them like a motivation to be sexual or are they yeah. just slapping some skimpy armor on them? Yeah, are they just eye candy for all the boys? Mhm. Cuz you know, actually wanting to have sex with something implies a degree of character and agency (laughs) well and you know the early tomb raider games you know besides of course lara's very outlandish proportions i would say there isn't a ton of sexualization to her character besides her proportions her character does have a flirtatious side i'll say she's Hmm. she's flirty and quippy with the men with men she's having fights with and while that's true, nothing like like her her outfit, at least in the first couple of games, nothing about her outfit is necessarily skimpy. Like you know, she's got shorts well, and a tank it's top. Pretty skimpy, let's be fair. Relative, not nothing compared to the later Tomb Raider games that have her like in a in a thong diving suit. Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> that was going right up the crack. Yeah, and so, like, they definitely amped it up as the games went on until, of course, they had to hit that hard reset button with the new one. Uh, yeah, the prequels, where they had to show how they how grown up they were now. <laughs> look, look, she's wearing pants and everything. She- <laughs> Let's, um, I guess I should emphasize this point that I don't think any Lara Croft exemplifies good female characterization, but all for different ways, all okay. for different reasons. <laughs> Okay. I mean, I would never classify her as great female characters in gaming. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's certainly got the staying power and the marketability. Mm-hmm. You ever notice, if you look at the original box art for the first Tomb Raider, it says featuring Lara Croft at the bottom. Oh. I mean, that the character wasn't established. I mean, they were just assuming in the time it took you to look at the box art, you would become invested in the character. <laughs> Which was an odd thing. Right. Well, like, like I said, the the original lead designer of the game walked off of the project after marketing only wanted Lara, Lara, Lara. And so, like, I do wonder if they were planning on, like, the tomb raiding series to have maybe a bunch of different protagonists. Maybe, like, oh, it, like this Tomb Raider 2 featuring new character. Oh, like that ever pays off. <laughs> Remember when they tried to do Friday the 13th without Jason? it never works no one wants it people like continuity yeah well and people like people like uh habits they like the same thing people like the same thing over and over and over again until they don't i suppose but uh i feel like you couldn't have made a tomb raider game about someone other than lara croft after the first couple of games it would have been false advertising i want to say even the second one though like even the second one it was like even the second one said featuring laura croft yeah, they all did, I think. Yeah. Because, hey, it's Lara Croft. To, so, yeah, no, like Tomb Raider 1 featuring Lara Croft, Tomb Raider 2 featuring Lara Croft, Tomb Raider 3 Adventures of Lara Croft. Oh, yeah, all the way up into the subtitle there. Yes. Uh, Tomb Ra- And then Tomb Raider 4 is just Tomb Raider The Last Revelation. See, yeah, the original Lara Croft, her mm. shirt was a bit tight and they were clearly uh, overemphasizing certain assets and uh, <laughs> they never really went into depth about her character. Mm. But she was fun. She was the fun protagonist <laughs> needed to be because 
in that sort of game, the character is the adventure itself. It's the environments you go to. It's the it's the things you find on the way. That's that's where the appeal lies. Mm-hmm. And when you sort of going the series long enough that you suddenly want to put the focus less on the adventure that Lara Croft is in and more on Lara Croft herself is where it starts to fall a bit flat. Mm. I feel like this was the problem with the last Uncharted game. You spend like several hours of it just following Nathan Drake on his dull little life. (laughs) (laughs) Because suddenly the focus was on the character rather than the adventure the character is in, and the character proves to be kind of shallow. Yeah, 100%, but people get so attached to that character... People get attached to anything they see enough of. That's that's very you put like a true. smiley face on your hand. I get attached to that. Are you talking about? Are you talking about handsome Andy? My my hand smile. Exactly. I think he's a bad influence on you. You no, no, handsome Andy gives me good ideas. I'm trying to uh, right now. I'm looking through the instruction manual for the PlayStation One Tomb Raider to see if if Lara has any like. Oh, here we go. Introduction. Lara, Lara Croft, daughter of Lord Hensingly. <laughs> Croft. Wo- <laughs> Hensingly. Nobody, Hens- nobody's called Hensingly. Hen- oh, sorry. No, you're right. Henshingly. Nobody's, Hens- nobody's called that either. <laughs> Lord Hensingly Croft was raised to be an aristocrat from birth. After attending finishing school at the age of 21, Lara's marriage into wealth had seemed assured, but on her way home from a skiing trip, her charter plane had crashed deep in the heart of the Himalayas. The only survivor, Lara learned how to depend on her wits to stay alive in hostile conditions a world away from her sheltered upbringing. Okay. So, so, so that yeah. prequel thing, that prequel was actually telling the backstory that was in the original manual. I didn't know that. Uh, kind of. They, I think they, they tweaked the origins a little bit. So, you know, like the, the new prequel is Lara, Lara going purposefully on a tomb raid right. when she, you know, but then has to survive it. This one is just like, oh yeah, she's like a party girl. She's went to finishing school, but then shit got real. The point is, that's not what the game chose to focus on. Right. I'm reminded of a piece of writing advice I was given once. All right. Is the story you're writing the most interesting time of the protagonist's life? And if not, why don't you show us that? <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not supposed to be a clever gotcha. There are, like, actual answers that mm-hmm. make sense. But I yeah. think in this case, like, the story of the original game that we had was the more interesting story. Because Absolutely. we didn't have to watch some crying girly girl complaining about not having enough food. That's that's very, very similar advice we get. I, I do, uh, well, I did before before the lockdown, I do uh, improv comedy theater here in Milwaukee. Hmm. And that's that's one of the big notes that's always given to kind of, you know, 101, 102 improv people is like, don't don't talk about the thing you're about to do just go there and do it because obviously that's the fun part. Yeah. Like you you can clear the clear the scene and instead of talking about the trip to Hawaii you're taking, why aren't you in Hawaii already? I remember I was looking at a post, I forget from who, recently, where it was talking about why the, all these prequel Star Wars movies like the Han Solo prequel and the Rogue One prequel don't really work out. Mm. And the answer they gave was that the story of how Han Solo became Han Solo just isn't that interesting. Yeah, because if it was interesting, it would have been the original film. 
Absolutely. The the interesting bit of Han Solo's life was when he decided to be a good guy in A New Hope. Yeah, that that's the bit worth focusing on. Absolutely. No, and uh, historically, famously, George Lucas had written kind of outlines for all nine episodes of Star Wars before he finished writing A New Hope and eventually paired away like, ah, no, it's not really important why Lord Vader is the bad guy. It's not really important why this happens. What's important is episode, what we now know as, you know, episode four, A New Hope. Uh, that's the that's the meat of the story. Only later to go back up and pick up all those scraps that he decided weren't good enough. <laughs> I very much believe he worked out nine films. It's <laughs> well, it's very believable that George Lucas has always been the awkward high school sci-fi writing nerd. Famously, uh, very similar stuff with Dan Aykroyd and the Blues Brothers. The original script handed over handed over for the Blues Brothers was like a ridiculously long. uh, the The car, the Bluesmobile, was supposed to be like uh, like they got it, like they took a trip to hell to get the (laughs) Bluesmobile, and like that's why it can drive so fast. (laughs) Like there was all of this mythos surrounding the Blues Brothers. Yeah, and John this is, John Landis yeah. just smacked him and said, "No, we're not doing all this." Filmmaking is the art of good editing, as many mm-hmm. things are. Absolutely, and 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 so yeah, I don't know. Like to to wrap this up is just as far as like their characters are concerned. I I have to agree with you that neither of them have very compelling characters, but at least one of them was trying to have fun in their fun yeah. game. Neither of them had compelling characters, but at least one of them knew not to focus on the character. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, she's got big tits and she's attractive and she raids tombs. And she can do flips while shooting polar bears. I mean, everything else follows from that. How can someone like her be in a position to raid tombs? Because she's rich, obviously. She's a jet setter. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she's mad. That's why she shoots everything. Yeah. I mean, it's just everything just comes from the starting point. Attractive lady raids tombs. Everything is just an excuse for that. <laughs> it was was there in the first game, and I don't remember. I, I in the first game was there like her training in her in her rich person home gym. Yes, there was an optional tutorial level which took place in Lara's home, which was sort of a tradition for the early Tomb Raider games. Yes, and it was you know it established the character without needing to establish a backstory it's just this is the situation they're in this is the house they live in this is the kind of person who would live in this house a mad rich lady yes and here's her doing gymnastics this will be you know this explains why she can do them in the tombs yeah and obviously rich mad ladies don't have much to fill their time so she just exercises all day and that's why she can do this shit (laughs) it all starts with rich lady raids tombs and all the explanation is just the obvious explanation absolutely Right. Absolutely. So OG Tomb Raider wins. So in our suggestions for the next Tomb Raider, just make up a fun adventure. Mm-hmm. Set it somewhere cool that's impressive to look at. And just let's just not dwell on Lara Croft much. You know, the, the, make it make it fun. How about uh, how about instead of uh, endless waves of shooting dudes in cover based combat, you, you have some puzzles for us to solve. That, that could be fun. Like some, yeah. some tombs to raid. And how about, instead of dudes, she has to fight endless hordes of very cheeky chimpanzees. What? 
Just the kind of chimpanzee <laughs> who's so cheeky, you just hate them and want them to die. <laughs> and they run up, they pinch her bum, take her wallet, go up a tree, and you're like, oh, you cheeky chimp. And maybe you don't have to. Maybe you don't have to shoot them to progress through the level, but if you want to shoot them. No, you, you have to. You have to. This is a, this is a real <laughs> asshole of a chimp. I mean, it, it, keeps showing, it keeps showing her its bottom. Throws poop at you. Oh, it's terrible. Because you gotta, you got to have some villain. And then you just have an adventure through really interesting scenery while chasing a cheeky monkey. I, lo- <laughs> I love it. I love there it. There you go. That's how you make Tomb Raider fun again. Take, make Tomb Raider fun again. We believe in you, whoever owns the right to Tomb Raider now. I, I don't think the Americans have it anymore. Tomb Raider 12, monkey business. Oh, yeah. Edios Montreal is now making Tomb Raider. So, you know, the Canadians, they're a little more fun than us. Yeah. I mean, you have to be in that country because it's so cold. There you go. There you go. We did it. That's why all their mounted police wear those silly trousers. And we love them for it. Uh, Okay. Are we done talking? I really... I I am. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm done too. All right, great. Then that's it. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the podcast that comes after Slightly Civil War. Remember that this episode was Who Would You Rather Raid a Tomb With? Original Lara versus New Remake Lara over on the EscapistMagazine.com, where you can become an Escapist Plus member to get our content ad-free a week early. You can ask us the creator's questions, uh, or you can join us at, at a YouTube Plus membership where you can once again watch uh, our content ad-free and get special little emotes uh, when we do our live streams those are all the fun stuff that you can do to help support us in making this content yes and follow us all on twitter as well and all the usual stuff yes fantastic thanks for listening bye bye everyone